0: a brand designer who helps transform startups and businesses into trustworthy media brands it creates foundational design systems that make every brand communication crystal clear
1: what does that mean it means i make pretty shapes for a living craig
0: <laughs> yeah but you make pretty shapes for a living i make pretty shapes for a living but you've kind of chosen a very different path to the way that I chose. So, how long have you been a designer now?
1: I have been designing for nine years. I have been a professional designer, quote unquote, for three. Okay. Yeah.
0: And have you? Did you ever work for an agency?
1: No. No. It's always been me. Just me. So you went. You went
0: straight for freelance straight away.
1: Yeah. I tried to. Uh, Well, I don't have any formal design education, so I taught myself how to use the design software and taught myself design basically entirely by myself with some few courses here and there online. Um, Didn't go down any educational route, which I kind of at the time wish I did, but now I'm like, it doesn't matter. Um, And instead of going to university I taught myself design and then I tried to apply for some more traditional design agency jobs but because I didn't have a degree i my applications were just being put straight in the bin because it was one of those like automated systems where do you have a degree yes or no you tick no it's like and it's in the bin like just immediately um so I, I spent probably six months applying for traditional jobs and then just gave up um, not because my work wasn't high enough quality, but because I just didn't have the connections. I didn't know what I was doing. And I was at the stage where I was just like, you know what, uh, stuff this, we're just going to go and try and hack it ourselves.
0: Yeah. And I, and I went the other way around. I did, I have some kind of formal professional design education, although it's only a two year H and D, which, which is only like two thirds of a degree in the UK, um, and I did that, and I went to work for agencies for four, four or five years, I think it was, and then after that, and and this is where our I'll, I'll paths converge. After that, I started an agency with somebody who I'd worked with previously, and you, after trying to find a job and and you couldn't get one, you you st- you set out as being freelancer. Did you did the kind of setting out to be an agency making it out as as a as a we ever cross your mind was you ever planning on doing that
1: it was a big debate and I think it's still a big debate amongst freelancers solopreneurs whatever you want to call them a oh put your can back on frame it disappeared put the can back in the frame your drinks can
0: <laughs> I, I'll have to speak and then
1: yeah there we, there we go mystical it, it sorry for the people listening at home Craig's got a green can <laughs> and it's just disappeared um so it's it's a big debate even today like I see it all the time and it's something I thought about for a long time I even at one point tried to you know set up some more like a sub brand agency called Inferno at one point and it just it just didn't sit right with me at the time because I think if you're going to run like a agency type thing you need to have the the chops and the desire to hire more people because ultimately that's what you're going to do And I never sat right with me. And at the stage I was contemplating whether to start like an actual agency name, I'd already been doing what I was doing for a year under my name. And I'd already built some traction with that. I'd already built some SEO with that. So I thought, well, you know what? We'll try it with this Inferno thing after which I did like last year. But it just doesn't work. Like it just didn't work for me at all. Um, And I also don't have the desire to hire permanent staff. Um, I'd rather hire and from my network, so um, whether that's hiring other designers or developers or things like that, and I just contract them rather than trying to have some permanent bigger thing, like trying to be the Wizard of Oz, almost like hide behind the curtain.
0: Yeah, uh, that's that's primarily why I wanted to talk to you because we've had a lot of discussions before about I I'm kind of very. I, I'm all about having an agency and me not really being part of it and there's this mystical figure which is the agency and that's a fluid thing and no one's really no one's really the forefront of it as such and you're the other way around which which is, is more personal branding which is why I want to speak to you about it where you're you are Connor Fowler your business is Conor Fowler and everything comes out from that and and I just wondered when when you started doing that, from the very beginning, were you blogging and tweeting and doing all those things to try and build up Connor Fowler on the internet or did that come later on?
1: I wasn't thinking about it that way. I think you're putting maybe too much emphasis on the idea of it being a brand because at the time it was just me building my account on Instagram and I just, because I didn't have an agency and because I didn't want to kind of in my mind, fake having some kind of bigger thing. Mm. I just wanted to start small and just built out what I knew, which was me and my name. And I couldn't get at Connor Fowler. So I got C Fowler design instead, just looking around at some other people's design accounts and seeing what the usernames there were. And for the first maybe year and a half, two years, I it, it basically didn't even cross my mind. I didn't have like, the intent to make my name a brand. That's kind of what it's become. But initially it was just, I'm just going to post stuff on this account because it's easier than trying to build up a brand for something else. And I think I mentioned this to you previously, but one of the difficulties with running a kind of agency name is that eventually, if you have your own personal accounts online as well, you end up running two things in parallel. Whereas I would just was lazy and was like, well, why would I do that when I can just <laughs> do this one thing? Like, I've had accounts on the internet, I've had a Facebook account, I've had multiple Instagram accounts, I've tried many different things, and I'm better off just having something under my name that I know isn't going to change. My mind's not. Yeah. My mind might change, my direction might change, my focus might change, but my name's not going to change.
0: And I, and I know over the past maybe six months or so, you've started thinking about that in in a bit more detail because we spoke about it and this this, this idea that it, as a designer you've built up a profile on the internet and you found out and I found this out as well that talking about design and marketing and stuff tends to attract designers and you, I know recently you've been trying to maybe steer away from that or start to do other things.
1: I am conscious of it. It's something that I... Uh... Think I have a largely different perspective on than most of the design industry, or at least most of the people trying to build presences online within the design community at the moment. I think if we looked back pre-Web 2.0 and looked at how designers were behaving online, they were probably interacting in a friendly capacity in forums, but not really trying to sell to other designers. Like most designers were trying to work with businesses or work for the agency that they were a part of, and I personally think as we've moved into like social media and Twitter and designers looking for inspiration, like that's who you're gonna attract. Like plumbers will always attract plumbers if you talk about plumbing content. Like if you are an architect and you post videos about architecture you love or you share other people's content and you're like, oh, I'm inspired by this. Well, then you'll attract architects. That's always what's gonna happen. Um, But there's a difference between attracting that type of person or that industry or that skill set or people who are curious about that like design and actively pursuing that type of content to draw them in so i have almost apart from the rare occasion almost never aimed to create content to educate teach or please designers almost never like that in terms of all the content I posted online that's never been the goal um but it always happens just as an Just because of the way the internet works but on the flip side of that there are people out there who are actively trying to build and enroll audiences people into their audience who are wanting to learn from designers and i think for me personally it's just not what i want to do like i'm I'm 25 craig i I have another 25 years before i maybe even want to consider teaching designers in any kind of formal capacity I might sell a course here or there on specific things, but I can't imagine becoming like a Chris Doe until I'm 50.
0: Yeah, that's something that I think about a lot as well, because when I started to explore what I was going to start writing on the internet, and what was I going to start a blog, was I going to do a podcast, was I going to do YouTube videos, naturally the only thing I know is, is design is graphic design and branding and marketing and things like that. So my rush to make content was to talk about that and to to teach people how to do design the way the way that I know how to do design. And I think this is an important point for anybody building a personal brand online, not just for designers, that you, you've got to kind of be quite intentional about what you're going to end up building because if, if you are a designer and you start posting really useful design tutorials online, that isn't really going to attract clients. It's not the kind of content that clients, particularly high value clients, are looking for. And I I think, I see a lot of designers get stuck in this trap. Uh, And When they first start making content online, the only thing they know is design. So they talk about design, and they talk about design tutorials and things like that. Then they end up building this uh, potentially quite successful resource and feel a little bit trapped that they've built a design audience and they're not getting clients from it. And they might have 200,000 followers on Instagram, but they're not getting any clients from it. Or the clients they're getting from it are really low value because because of the kind of content they've been making. It's purely about design and it attracts a certain kind of client.
1: Do you think that the educational side Well, I'm just, just while you were explaining that to kind of run you through my thought, one of my favorite designers and one of the reasons I became a graphic designer or brand designer or whatever label you want to give me um, was Aaron Draplin. And Mm -hmm. thinking about how Aaron Draplin does his stuff, he was a designer in an agency and freelance for the longest time. He ran and created his own merchandise. And then started writing things like a book about his work or some of his process. And then he's making courses on Skillshare. But those are like third or fourth steps when the other side has already been proven. So on that point of building up a resource of education, tutorials, whatever, people are starting with the intent of educating others. Do you think that's where people get stuck? Like if you go down... Well, I guess it depends on what you want to do, but if you're going down with the intention of finding clients, does educational content just stick you in the mud immediately? Like you've kind of just skipped over the necessary steps to get to being a teacher?
0: Yeah, I think so. I I think when you... As soon as you make the educational content, it sets you up as an expert, right? But by making the educational content, by never when you never prove yourself by never showing proof of work, and this is something that Draplin does a lot of, by never showing your work in the first place and just jumping straight to the educational content, you're kind of just a little bit like, well, who is this person? Why are they making content? Why should I listen to them? And then I think before you know it, you're too far in the weeds and you've become you become a design teacher or, or something like that. I think there's there's a danger there's a danger when you start doing tutorials and and showing people too much of how your industry works. There's a danger that you become kind of outside of the industry, that you're not seen as being an expert in the industry. You're seen as being almost a teacher of the industry. A little bit like how you, you think about any university lecturer or any college lecturer or anything like that. You don't necessarily think of them as being in the industry, do you? that so, some of them are some of them absolutely are but the majority of them when you think about it then they're, they're not seen as part of the industry uh, and i i think people jump to the educational content because to an extent it's easy to create isn't it it's it, you can you can reverse engineer what you already know or your process you already follow and make content out of it and it's easy but the the downside to that is that you start to go down, like I said, you start to go down a path that may be very difficult to row yourself back from, especially if you're using your own name, especially if you're making a Twitter account that's, that's, you know, just like my name, Craig Burgess, or your name, Connor Fowler. It can be difficult to row back from that without deleting everything that you've got on the internet and starting all over again.
1: I think that's right. I think also that there's, there's obviously the saying, those who can't do, teach. But I don't think that's particularly fair to all the incredible teachers who are out there. Um, but I also think that if that's the path you step down initially, from my perspective, you're not going to get the experiences of someone who is actively trying to go in the other direction. Um, it's just like, they just don't cross paths as in my mind as much as say the Draplin route does where you start with design and then you try your own merchandise and like then it diverges over time into education like that's how I see those things coming together Um, but then to your point about educational content I would say the vast majority of the content I create is educational but the spin is not for people in my industry like they they will get something out of just to kind of pull up a a recent tweet I've I've made, for example. Um, So I've made a tweet about brand strategy, for example. And I think that that is educational, but the point is to help people who are building their own brand, create something from that tweet, to draw inspiration from that tweet, to find something useful from that tweet, but in a way that I could actually provide that service to them eventually. Whereas my goal is not to make, content for designers like obviously if I look through who engages with the tweets it's probably 50 50 designers non-designers but the goal is and my specific intent is not to do that
0: yeah I, I think the step that a lot of people miss with the personal branding stuff and this is a thing that I didn't realize the importance of when I first started messing around with all this stuff is the proof of work you have to prove that you are an expert at what you do and there's there's only really only really one way to prove that is by showing your work or showing the process of your work or or something like that if if you don't want to end up making lots of educational content and going down that route which is a perfectly valid route I don't you know I don't I'm I'm not shitting on it at all I think it is a valid route but you can you can go very far down one path and end up end up finding out that it isn't the thing that you want to do. And I, I think to your point about teaching as well. Um I I have a lot of respect for teachers and I taught a lot. Um I I did it I in in kind of a, a part time capacity at a local college and uh, and teaching's bloody hard. And the kind of teaching that you're doing in those situations where you're teaching a room full of people how to design stuff isn't the same kind of pop content that you're making on the internet. It isn't you know, you you're not you're not really teaching so people do talk about colour theory and you may be teaching colour theory in a classroom, but the kind of stuff that's made on YouTube and the stuff that's put out on Twitter and basically anywhere on the internet is much more jazzed up than that. And 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 the, the the idea behind it is is much more, you know, poppy and Designed to attract people, so even when somebody is watching a YouTube video about color theory or whatever, they they're probably not going to end up being your client because it's just not the kind of thing that they're looking for. But with the brand strategy stuff, I, I think you I think you're right. I think the higher the higher level skills that you talk about, you can talk about all that kind of stuff and still teach people things because people want to know about the higher level stuff. I think the we, we have a tendency, particularly as designers, to to talk about some of the low-level stuff that, after you've been doing design for a long time, becomes very natural to talk about. And it also seems very simple to a designer, like colour theory and like picking the right typeface and, right, and like uh, contrast and making sure you use the right background and things like that. That's the kind of cheap pop culture type content that designers can end up making that I don't think adds value to anybody other than to maybe build a following on on Twitter or build a following on whatever your chosen platform. And then you sit back when you've got 10,000 followers and you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do now? I need to make a course for designers now because it's the only audience I've got.
1: Yeah. Which is kind of the position I found myself in with Instagram, which is that the vast majority of the 33,000 followers I have on Instagram are designers. And it just wasn't... I was getting more hits for work and prospects coming through from Dribble, where I had less than a thousand followers. So that's obviously to do with the platform, but there's also a significant audience issue there as well, where you might argue that the exposure gained from having a large audience makes all the difference, when in reality it definitely does not. So in terms of speaking on we're on live on twitter so let's talk about twitter so if someone who follows me retweets my account at work and they have 40 followers like the reach is nowhere near the same as someone who retweeted it with ten thousand followers and the same goes i think for people who are within your own industry if you are trying to attract people to share your work and to find clients you're not going to do so by bringing in people from your own industry. It's like getting a retweet from someone who has five followers. Yes, it's more exposure, but is it actually leveraging your skills in a way that will benefit you to the outcome you want to get? So the, again, it comes back to intent. Like, what's your end goal? Is your end goal to become a teacher? In my case, it's not. In Or is it to build up a profitable client service business or product selling business?
0: Why do you think you had more success on Dribble finding high value clients than you did on Instagram? Because on the on the surface of it, you've I think, well, Dribbble is mainly a community for designers and and anybody on Instagram can use Instagram. So in my head I'm thinking, should it, shouldn't the more high value clients come from Instagram rather than Dribbble? Why do you think it
1: was the other way? Well, there's there's two main reasons, one of which I don't typically talk about because it's very much something no one's talking about. So it's kind of a, I will tell you what it is, but it's, it's a big, it's quite a big difference between the two. But the, the initial differences between Dribbble and Instagram is exactly what you said. Dribbble is for designers or to hire designers. That That's the two sides of the coin. So if you go to Dribbble, if you are not a designer, you will be presented with a website that is designed to help you hire a designer or to make your own collections. It's like Pinterest for design. Um, that's how I see Dribbble. But if you're a designer, you can post your content, you can apply for different jobs that are available. Um, and they do, whilst they're not great at connecting you with clients directly through their platform, people do visit Dribbble. Um, in fact, recent one of my very recent clients found me through Dribbble and found the web designer who did the website for the brand through Dribbble. Um, it's where people are going to, it's a directory, but it's a very specific directory. And also the search functionality on Dribbble is quite good. Whereas on Instagram, Instagram in 2016 through to about halfway through 2018 was pretty good. Um, hashtag search was pretty good. The explore feed was pretty good. But now Instagram, I'm glad I've kind of semi-abandoned it because it's, it's so bloated Like I tried the other day and actually, no, I didn't try. Lydia came in to be like, oh, I I was trying to figure out how to post one of my illustrations on Instagram yesterday. And she had to go through like 10 minutes worth of trying to find where the flipping new post picture button is. Like it's just been completely removed so that the whole initial intent of Instagram to post pictures, they've moved so far away from that. The hashtags don't work anymore. And the explore feed is completely broken. Um, and that's the main two differences is yes you're right instagram is spe- is like everyone is on instagram but that's its downfall as well because you can never find anything specific whereas dribble on the other hand is very much focused on a direct being a directory of designers but the other major difference which is something i do not talk about very much because i'm trying to keep it to myself is that dribble dribble's content ranks on google
0: yeah
1: whereas instagram doesn't Insta- yeah, it's,
0: it's pretty pretty much you, your content is locked into Instagram, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so anything within the Facebook ecosystem is not on Google, uh, almost at all. Um, they will list and rank pages, but they do not typically list and rank images. And I don't know why this is. I know Instagram and Facebook have recently introduced alt tags for images, but I have not seen any success with that at all. Um, whereas with Dribbble, I can very quickly and easily outrank even like Shutterstock for the same tags. I'm outranking designers who have been on Dribbble for 10 years or 10 years, however long Dribbble's been around, like since the beginning of Dribbble. I'm outranking them because they cannot be bothered to use the system properly. So, and that's how I'm reaching these people is because when you type in heart logo into Google or no, what was it? I made a magnet heart logo for Valentine's Day a while ago. And if you type in Magnet Heart Logo into into Google, my Dribbble post is the first image on Google results.
0: I'm going to look now.
1: <laughs> um, you should see it as a Dribbble post and there should be one or two images on the top line of Google.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, I see, I see one.
1: Yeah. Is it? And I know that's quite a specific term, but I sold that logo.
0: Yeah, Magnet Heart Logo designed by
1: Connor Fowler.
0: Yeah. On Dribbble. Yeah. And that's on Pinterest as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so I, I, I,
1: I put it on Pinterest. Oh, did you? Yeah. Um, so with Dribbble, there's actually SEO benefits to the platform, which no one is talking about. Now, I don't want to get down too much to the, the technical specifics of social specific social media platforms, but my personal preference and suggestion for pretty much every person trying to find client work is to not use Instagram and to use Dribbble instead. Um well,
0: this is a big thing about building a personal brand, and this is a big thing for anybody building any kind of brand on the internet. There is next to no point in focusing all your energy on building up somebody else's content platform. so in in the case of instagram and 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 when I say that, I mean, there's no point in building up somebody else's um Instagram. No point in building up an Instagram profile when you're getting no benefit back, and in this case, there's no there's no SEO benefit. So you've got to consider: should I make Instagram my first part of call? Um, I I know an, another designer who's doing really well on Pinterest. He puts all his stuff on Pinterest. He, I don't I don't think he really uses Dribbble that much, but he, he sees high value clients coming from Pinterest all of the time because Pinterest is image search, in you know the the, the same way as same way as Dribble is, effectively. But the, the, the advantage of Pinterest is also that it's very, very heavily indexed in Google and the potential audience on Pinterest is huge. And the other thing as well is that the the search and the discover function is really good on Pinterest. So if, if somebody starts searching for like heart magnet logo, they're likely going to see, if they end up seeing your logo, they're likely going to end up seeing some of your other logos as well. And some of your other content, so I think it is it is a really high value tip, and yeah, I, it's not something I'd even considered. I know we we you've told me before, and it's still it's still not something I've really thought about. I I, I can talk to about the the fact on Instagram of no SEO benefit. That's hundred percent true, and also the hashtags are absolute garbage on Instagram now. I tested posts on Instagram. I post on Instagram every day and I tested a series of posts with hashtags and without hashtags to see if there was any any benefit of them to see if it got increased likes or see if it got more interaction nothing no no difference between using the hashtags or not other than that the posts with the hashtag look spammy that was the only difference
1: I yeah I've tried the same in the past man and it's When I joined Instagram in 2016, the hashtag logo design was banned. It's been banned since forever ago. Like, it's been banned since the app pretty much started. It must have been spammed with porn or something in the very early days of Instagram. But um, because it's been banned as long as I've known Jonathan Rudolph, the guy who runs Logo Inspiration. um, It's been banned since he started his account. So, like, the second you start talking about hashtags... My thinking is, I did the same as you, where I tried posts with and without. You get more engagement, I find, without hashtags on Instagram, but then you don't reach new people. But then, by putting the hat, by putting hashtags, if you don't actually connect with people within those hashtags, then your post gets dropped in the feed, and you've still got lower engagement. So it's it's such a fickle system that. You can't index your own work in the categories it's supposed to be in because if people don't immediately click on it, you get penalized for it. And I know I sound really negative about it, but the main takeaway from this point is I used to love using Instagram, and now it's reached the stage where it's become such a self centered eco- ecosystem where it just doesn't connect to the rest of the internet that by being within that ecosystem, unless you have an absolute shitload of cash in your pocket to pay for ads, or you're really good at making Instagram TikTok videos, you're just not gonna break through and the content doesn't last. So a dribble post, I can that's gonna rank on Google providing I leave that dribble post up. But my Instagram post of exactly the same picture will last for less than 24 hours.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I'm the same, and we, we do sound negative about Instagram because it is, it, it is a negative platform to build a brand on, to build a personal brand on. I know several people who have got accounts on Instagram with over 100,000 followers. Some of them have even got 200,000 and 300,000. They get next to nothing of value from it. They even struggle to send people from Instagram to purchase anything to to purchase pdfs or you know just purchase anything um, it isn't a great platform for growing a brand on and i don't think it's the platform that you should start with no matter we're talking specifically about design but no matter what it is i don't think you should start on instagram there was a time a while back maybe five years ago maybe a bit longer and the the example that Sticks in my mind is do you know who Mike Cusses? He's a he started as a designer, he used to work for a company in Bath. That I've forgotten the name that he worked for. Brilliant designer, freelance designer now. Uh, he started an Instagram account five to seven years ago, maybe even a bit longer, when the whole idea of uh iPhoneography started becoming really big And iPhones started to get good cameras He started an Instagram account on there And started to build up He just took nice photos basically He took nice photos and put them on Instagram And he built up a huge following And I think I I don't know what he's got now at the minute But he's got a huge following on Instagram From making really lovely photos Uh, and, And that's all it is It's his photography account I'm trying to bring it up while I'm talking yeah, so he's got 781,000 followers on Instagram now. It's uh, it's just Mike Cuss, so M-I-K-E-K-U-S. And the way that he's built a big following on Instagram is he got in early when there wasn't that much good content on there, and also his photos are really nice, but his pri- his primary thing used to be a, a designer. I think he's, he's moved more into being a photographer now, but he's still a bloody good designer. But that's when the value of Instagram existed. And now I don't think there's that same value there. I, I think, and from all the ones that I've tried, and I don't know whether you agree, I think pound for pound Twitter is the best place to start if you want to build a brand.
1: Yeah, I made a tweet about this the other day that the main benefit of Twitter right now is that there's one feed. Like, there's no bullshit. There's no fluff. There's no millions of different buttons to access different groups or secret groups or games section or stories or whatever. Like, there Market is places. there is one feed.
0: Yeah, uh, and also uh, the, the thing that Twitter gets right and all of the other ones get wrong... And this is the problem with Instagram as well, is that even though your Instagram profile is public, and we're not even talking about search engine optimization here, even if your Instagram profile is public, you feel very alone on Instagram. Even if you're following other people on Instagram, the feed is is very heavily curated by Instagram, and it's all about the it's all about the algorithm. And if you haven't liked somebody's post for a while, you'll never see their content again. And twi- Twitter, has got an algorithm as well, and that's starting to get a little bit like that. But Twitter is very open. In the whole point is social. It is social media in the purest sense. And I think Instagram's lost its way with that. And I, I think a lot of the other ones have lost their way with that. That they're all they all try and push you into being a content creator first. They're not bothered if you interact with anybody. And, and TikTok is going the same way as this already. The whole power of TikTok is, at the minute, being able to build a big following if you're making fun content or interesting content. And you can build a big inst- uh, build a big brand on TikTok right now very easily if, if you're good at making content. But the same thing, TikTok gets the same thing wrong again, is that there isn't much of a community about it. It's all about the content. They want you to join to be a content creator rather than being and this is what Twitter gets right, rather than being a consumer as well. I know loads of people who use Twitter that barely really tweet, to be honest. They use it just to follow other people's content and then occasionally interact with the people who they're following. That's For me, that's the purest sense of what social media should be. And I think that's why it's so powerful.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that you, the point you're making is, is more leaning towards the side of building connections rather than simply building audience and this is where i think linkedin goes the other way which is that linkedin is all about building or excuse me yes in all of these cases i'm being very generalizing and speaking of how i see the platform as a whole and yes you can build an audience on linkedin i'm not saying you can't but as a whole linkedin is about connections whereas twitter fits somewhere in between the two in that you have your own feed which you can post 10 times a day on as I am proving and you have proven and it works. You do, you don't get penalized for creating lots of being prolific, but you can also connect with people who you would never otherwise find or be able to speak to.
0: I think the beauty of Twitter as well is that you can create the content that you want to create and you can potentially build interest in it. If If you want to tweet one tweet a day and write a really interesting thread that's really valuable, you can do that. If you want to tweet ten times a day and write quicker, more timely ideas, you can do that. And if you, and if you want to make an account that pretends to be big, the Big Ben clock in London that just bongs every hour, you can do that because that exists. So the the, the beauty of Twitter, I think, is that it can be whatever you want it to be, and the network inside of it is huge. And that's primarily in twenty twenty. Well, I met you on Twitter. It's primarily in 2020 where I've made all of my connections. And right now, with everybody, most people being at home, it's a super powerful way to build an international audience on there. Have you ever got a client from Twitter?
1: Not yet. Most of my clients still come through Dribbble. Which is really disappointing to say, because like, in six months of going hard on Dribble, I had more clients in that six months, or more prospects, in that six months than I did for, like, two years on Instagram. Like, the scale was insane, man. But, uh, no, not yet. But I have had some interest. I have had a growing interest through Twitter, yeah.
0: Yeah, I've... I've had one or two clients from Twitter. And, uh, yeah, I've had the same kind of thing with interest. But my Twitter account, I... I talk about design occasionally. I rarely show stuff other than the produce more account that I'm doing. So I, I don't talk that much about Twitter. I tend to treat it more general and more about building connections and occasionally drop in some something about design or marketing every now and again. So it it doesn't surprise me that it hasn't turned into something yet. Um, are you still doing Dribble then?
1: Um, I haven't been for a while since I moved to Sheffield. I kind of it's dropped off the radar because I had lots of content which ran out when I moved up here, which is all scheduled. It ran out, and then I just haven't caught back up to it. And I need to because the monthly and daily views you can because you can use Google Analytics with Dribble. So if you pay for Dribble Pro, and the analytics were getting insane. Um, so I shouldn't have stopped (laughs) is what I'm trying to say, but, uh, yeah. Is it, is it
0: still picking up interest? Do you still occasionally get leads from it?
1: Yeah. I get people maybe once a week trying to buy logos that I've made already, um, occasionally get leads come through, but yeah, it's, you've got to be consistent. Like it doesn't, it's the same as, uh, Twitter. If you're not constantly, constantly, if you're not posting regularly, maybe two to three times a week, then you're just not going to build the traffic.
0: I think you, you've got to build... You've got to feed the algorithm in two ways, really, haven't you? Well, feed feed the system with content, not just the algorithm. Because the regular content is to keep you up in the algorithm. And then, if the platform is built right, like Dribbble or Pinterest, the content that you leave on there over time will keep getting resurfaced. And I have found this on Twitter as well. I People occasionally like tweets that I've tweeted from bloody 6 months ago and I, and I see that they've liked it and I'm like how have they found that tweet really where have they found that tweet and it sometimes it's even even more abstract than that it's, it's a reply on somebody else's tweet from 8 months ago and they and they've somehow found this tweet um but with Twitter there's lots of people there's lots of ways for people to save the tweets as well there's the there's bookmarking the tweets There's, uh, yeah, they call it bookmarking now. Used to be called favourites, didn't it? They call it bookmarking now and then somebody might have liked a tweet. Then the other way is that it could end up in somebody's timeline for some reason in the maybe you missed this thing, which could be up to a day old of a tweet. And then the other thing is that somebody might have saved it to read wise or something like that or somebody might have embedded it in a website.
1: There's even bots that will tell you like remind me of this tweet in a week or a year. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so so with Twitter, it, I've not experienced I can't speak to its its uh, effectiveness in search engines. In my experience, I I haven't I, I know I do know that some tweets or at least your Twitter profile gets indexed in Google. I haven't come across any tweets really getting heavily indexed. You know, one of my tweets, for example, always coming up in Google and getting lots of likes. I haven't come across any of that. But I, I do kn- I do know on Twitter, they've also added the alt tag thing, so you can add text in for images now. And I'm presuming that is for them to start getting added into Google Images. But again, I haven't seen that yet, so I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, when when the guys over at Hype Fury who maybe they're listening, maybe they're not, I I asked them to to make alt images on Hype Fury (laughs) because alt alt tags on images. Um, But also to go back to just the comment of Dribbble, like I haven't posted on Dribbble for quite a while and in the last 30 days, 30 days, I've had like 50, was it 30 days? 50,000 people come through in 30 days. 50,000? yeah
0: through to your website or just
1: on, just on Drupal? Just on my Drupal profile in in the last... Yeah, in the last month, 48,000 users. And some people came through twice. So it's 80,000 sessions in a month just from... And from not even posting. That's just from tagging things correctly.
0: Oh, so are you still going in and tagging stuff?
1: No, I don't need to because I've done it properly the first time.
0: Oh, right. So you did it the first time and it's, it's working still now. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's,
1: that's insane. I mean... It, I'm getting 10,000 impressions a day on Twitter, so it's like it, it's apples and oranges, but like it's it's significant. So that's without doing anything.
0: I think what makes it significant on Dribble though is that it is very it's specific, uh, it's specific to your skill set. They're seeing your proof of work uh, and just looking at it or saving it or whatever. I, I've just logged into Dribble out of curiosity. Uh, I haven't got the full analytics because. I I don't pay for it, but I can see... I haven't posted on Dribble. I think it's about two years. Let me have a look when I last posted on Dribbble. Uh, 2017. July 7th, 2017 was the last time I posted on Dribble, And some of the things that I posted in that year... Two of the things. One of them was added to a collection on the 22nd of September this year. And... The other thing was liked, one of my other posts, from 2017 was liked on the 3rd of October. This year. And I haven't posted on it for, for yeah, for three years. It's, it's insane.
1: Yeah, I, I have likes turned off on my notifications for dribble because I don't, I don't, likes don't mean that much to me. What matters to me is like follows and collections. But you're right, if I go through my one, I can find a post, someone 37 minutes ago added one of my posts to a collection
0: and the post is from 2017 yeah it's it's crazy it's insane i i i need to go back and look at (laughs) dribble i've I've kind of been sleeping on it i'll be honest yeah i've been sleeping on it because i've always had this thing that i i've never had a design portfolio even though i'm a designer i've never had a design portfolio but genius division as has always had a design portfolio. So it's given me, it's given me a little bit of an out to not have to show my work, and th- this kind of this kind of attitude comes from the fact that one of my design idols is the Designers Republic, and the Designers Republic you never know who did the work at Designers Republic. It's an organization. It's just like this this faceless, cool organization that just make design work, and you never know who did it. So my, my approach has always been that any design work I do, other than the produce more stuff and other things that might be sitting around the internet, it's always owned by Genius Division and it's not mine. So I've never had a portfolio because i I've not I've not been able to sit I've not been able to sit it with Genius Division or work it out. And this this thought has been recurring in my head this year particularly since I've been taking Twitter more seriously and getting into it a little bit more. And I've been trying to figure out where I want to publish some of my design work. So I'm I'm, I'm going to put some of it on my website, which I'm still trying to work out, trying to figure out what I'm going to say and how, how it's going to look. But I've been thinking about Instagram or Dribbble or Pinterest or all these kind of things. And I think I'm going to go Dribbble. I think I'm going to give Dribbble a try rather than instagram i've got an instagram profile but i I don't use it for much other than posting uh cat pictures or weightlifting videos so i think i'm gonna give dribble a try
1: you should man like i need to get back into doing it more i've just neglected it because i'm lazy um well am i lazy no i'm just a magpie i just i like the newest shiny thing so for me that's twitter right now but now i've kind of found my feet with twitter um it just makes sense to make something, put it on Twitter and then also put it on Dribble. It takes just as long. So worth yeah. doing.
0: I think a point I want to finish on is that you've recently changed your website, haven't you? The, is it ConnorFowler.com, I think it is. Um, and you've been very, obviously is you've purposefully not put any work on it, any design work and i wanted to I wanted to finish on this point about branding and about proof of work and things like that and just ask you why you made those decisions because the usually people's design portfolios it's just pictures and no words it's the opposite way around so why why did you go down that route for that?
1: I've had a big grope with traditional portfolios for a long time, and the issue I have with traditional portfolios where Let me give you an example. It's just like company name, designer name, and then just tiles of case studies, or in some cases, not even case studies, just galleries of images um, with no context or very little context. The gripe I have with them is that the case studies are only relevant to people within that industry. So unless you do like a 100 construction companies the likelihood of the case study actually being more than a pretty picture to a prospect looking at your website is very small. And if you want to solve interesting problems for interesting people, you need to show them more than a pretty picture. At least that's the way I think about it. And I think based on the discussions I've had with people in the visualized value community who are a community of entrepreneurs and builders, who are building businesses at all levels uh, all degrees of of age in terms of or, or level of business the same problems come up time and time again but those problems are not acknowledged in a traditional portfolio website yeah and and
0: the the thing that lots of us are guilty of and i have these conversations with people in the visualized value community a lot because i always tell people to just keep asking why until they get through to the actual final thing they want to say. I've been guilty of making design portfolios where, um, and by the way, these are ones that have never gone public. I've made many design portfolios, but I've never published one. <laughs> I never get to the end of finishing a design portfolio. So every time I make one, I always just put, I'm a designer. And I'm like, well, who who cares that I'm a designer? And that's why you've you've changed the message. I mean, I had a bit I guess I was poking fun a little bit at your, you know, your your title about helping transform brands and businesses into trustworthy that needs, brands. That
1: needs fixing. That's a fair, it's a fair rip. It needs it needs updating, but it's a good version one.
0: No, but it, it says way more than saying you're a designer. I, that's the point I was going to get. At. I w- I was ripping at it a little bit, but it, it's way more valuable to say that that you transform startups or you turn businesses into trustworthy brands. That message is way way more powerful. To tell a prospect then i'm connor i'm a designer it means nothing to anybody does it
1: well it doesn't it doesn't open the door to have a discussion it doesn't it doesn't actively it's not like you're going to the doctor's office and the doctor just sits there and says hi i'm a doctor it's like i know you're a doctor but what can you do for me
0: yeah yeah that, that's that's a really good point it's it should be about what you're going to do for them rather than what you are. It's the benefits and not the features. And as designers, particularly, we are very guilty of often just saying what we are and the features of ourselves rather than the benefits of working with us. So I, I think it's definitely, it's definitely a good, a good number one. And it's already better. Your statement is already better than most designers what they usually put on the websites. It's just I'm a designer which don't
1: mean anything. I, yeah, I agree. And I think to kind of finalize my thought on why I i don't want to use a traditional design portfolio website anymore, it doesn't mean I'm not going to have case studies. It, my site doesn't have case studies at the moment because I've had to redesign and gut the entire thing. So I have case studies available, but I just don't have them in the design format of the new site. So it's not like they're not coming. It's just, it takes time. Um, but... I wanted to get that page out, that initial landing page out first, because I felt so strongly that the vast majority of the industry is just showing pretty pictures, and we're taught this to do that kind of portfolio by people who don't, whose website doesn't bring them work. You see the massive agencies, the international agencies, they can get away with just having a visual roller decks of images, because all their clients will come through referral. Almost none of them are going to come through their website. Yeah, but the,
0: the reason that they come through... Come, put my teeth back in. The reason they come through referral is after spending many, 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 many years of doing things outside of just the design work. It, it's, it's kind of the, the, the biggest irony of, of design portfolios. It can be the biggest design agency in the world. The website is mostly images or tiny, te- uh, tiny case studies that's mostly videos or images. But it, it just does the work such a disservice because you know it is the one of, you think of anybody, one of the biggest agencies, you know they've spent way more than just, you know, an afternoon in Illustrator or Photoshop making pretty images. But their website makes it look like all they've done is made pretty images. Uh, and they're not telling the full story and I, I I think personally for a lot of designers it's because a lot of designers go into design or they go into an art field because they're not a particular fan of writing or they're not a particular fan of marketing or any of that kind of bullshit that goes with being a designer a lot of the time you, you know the marketing side a lot of designers don't like so they they kind of rail against it by making a pretty website that looks nice to them but won't convert because they're just another
1: designer in a sea of designers how do you compare this like different images to different images there's no words behind it there's no meaning behind it and as i said it doesn't mean anything to someone who's not in that industry like they they could love working with you they could love your problem solving skills you could solve every issue they have but if they are a leisure centre that has a swimming pool brand and you, all you've got on your website is construction brands, they're going to think you just work with construction companies or they're not going to see how your transformational process actually could benefit them specifically because you're not speaking to their problems. You are speaking to their, well, you're trying to appeal to their taste rather than trying to solve their problems, which is, which is a nightmare, which well, it's fine for some people. But it's not, in my opinion, going to convert anywhere near as well.
0: I'll, I'll finish on this point because I definitely don't want to get a debit, into a debate about this one for this episode. But this is one of the primary reasons why we never, ever, ever do design work on any project until we've signed them up to a project. We never do any free spec work, any visual spec work, because taste differs so very so so much between clients that you never know what they're going to like and you never know what they're going to dislike so by leading with just the visuals on your website you are beholden to their taste and if they if they what they see on your website isn't what they like you've lost them even though most designers don't have a style and they can they can like a chameleon do any kind of work that you'd, you'd need them to do if your website shows a particular thing on there that they don't like they will be like well they're crap we're not going to use them and that's all from just the visuals because it
1: isn't backed up with anything else yeah I agree I, I, I don't think that was going to be a debate I agree
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave it there because I, I think we, we might get on an impassioned well I will I'll get on an impassioned rant um, do you want to finish on saying anything before we go?
1: Yeah, well, thank you for inviting me to have this conversation, Craig. I know you live about literally 25-minute drive away from me, so we could have done this in person. But thank you, Lockdown, for keeping us safely locked in our homes. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you for being local.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely do it in person at some point because I've got a kick-ass podcast studio Hell in yeah. my house that isn't getting news right now. Other than me sat at one end of it. Anyway, yeah, let's chat again soon. Cheers, man.
1: Cheers, bro.